0: Heavenly Father, we just come before you again, Lord, asking that we be your servants, that we would be a blessing to this crowd, that you would labor through us, that it not be our ideas and our own thinking, that we would glorify you in what we say and do, that you would be able to speak to each individual here for what they need. I pray you give them ears to hear, but more than just hearing, that they would put their hand to the plow, they would put these things into action, that they would lean on you and trust you, that you are going to guide them into all truth. We thank you for the opportunity now to, to teach and learn. Bless us to this end that we might glorify thee as our prayer. In Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> all right. So, we uh, thought we would approach this a little bit backwards. So we're going to approach it from the idea of, well, Alan and them are going to talk about, they started a farm this year. So they've had a farm, but they've moved to a new place. And so they did a lot of searching for land. They've done a lot of, uh, once they found the land, the development of the land and, and all these things just this last year. And so they're going to cover some of those details. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at marketing which to me seems a little bit backwards from the way you would necessarily start. You would think about talking about how you grow stuff. But we're gonna talk about marketing because a lot of times what you grow is dependent upon your market. And so we're gonna start a little bit what I would consider from the back end of this and work towards the, okay, how do we do it? Um, And if you don't think marketing is important or that it's some sort of boring component of this, it won't do you really much good to grow a bunch of produce and not have anywhere to sell it, it turns into compost. Um, Not anything wrong with compost, but you don't want it to be what you grow. Um, So, the first question that I think of when I think of marketing is that I need somewhere to let it be sold. And usually a large metropolitan area, whatever closest city, It's not mandatory. But it is a good question to ask yourself, what is the largest metropolitan area? How big is it? Um, How far away is it? because these all become very pertinent (laughs) when you start driving there on a regular basis. Um, Another question is how educated is that community about this type of thing you wanna do? And so, you know, we have a large metropolitan area where we're at, Louisville, Kentucky. Not too far from there, we have Bloomington. If we really get adventurous, we can go to Indianapolis. Um, You know, none of these things are, are as far away they're not out of reach for us. And so we have very large metropolitan areas, but they're maybe not as educated as say, when we were in Washington State and we were going into Seattle. Um, I didn't have to educate, if I asked, last night John asked, did anybody know what escarole was? Uh, most of our population base knew to riso, radicchio, or escarole. We grew spigariello and most of our population base And I would say maybe not most, but a large portion of our population base there knew what those foods were. I didn't have to educate them. If I said, uh, this is kohlrabi, they were asking me for kohlrabi. I wouldn't have to tell them what kohlrabi is. And so um, knowing the education base of your population will help you tremendously as well.
1: I was just going to give an example. We do two different farmer's markets in Louisville. Uh, One is in the parking lot of a health food store. The other is in a low-income area, and we sell totally different produce at one than we do the other. And we do different kinds of education than we do at one and the other. And so you can pick and choose uh, different markets, different clientele, what you feel like your mission is and where you want to serve, and you can go really diverse. You can be in you know, more lucrative neighborhoods and diversify and go to lower-income areas as well.
0: Yeah, so part of... Intentionally, we chose to go into the low. We used to live in the area that was uh, would be considered low income, Um, and so for me it was very exciting to be able to go back down there and bring this. You know, I learned I went when I went to Seattle. I went to the farm, and I and he says, "Go harvest the radicchio over there." And I was like, "Oh dear, what in the world is radicchio?" Like my my palate choice had obviously been like Kroger was my palate choice, and so all of a sudden my whole world just was expand it on what food was and I remember the first time I ate fresh broccoli I was sort of, I didn't even you know, it was like some other food and so I was excited to come back and it's actually a food desert there's not a a grocery store in this area and so it was a real blessing for us to to go into that market Um, and then slow down what do people want? that's a good question to ask Because if you're growing a bunch of stuff that people don't want, it's not really economically viable either. And so that's not the, I don't think that that's all you got to do. In fact, I would encourage you not to just do that, but it is definitely a question you want to have an answer to. Um, The other thing that's hidden in this question is what do you want to grow? The other question is, what is the market demand? That I, these are just the things that come to my mind when I think about this. What's the market demand? So, maybe everybody loves, I don't know, what do people love? Cucumbers. Everybody oh, no. loves cucumbers. Everybody loves okra.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if you show up, like, if you go to the market and everybody has the same cucumbers, you're just somebody else with the same cucumbers. What's your demand right like yeah, there's a demand for it, but the the demand is met Maybe so what's the demand and what's being met of that demand and so maybe finding niche markets might be beneficial
1: For this next one record-keeping kind of like what Alan and Aubrey touched on you know there's a lot of ways to do market gardening and our way is not the only way and not just the right way so We've worked in, on several different farms and it's amazing how different every farmer is and how they do things. Um, so this isn't the end, on, end and only way, but our... Larry and I both come from the same kind of background that we really don't like the computer work very much. So you can be like really into record keeping and keep a lot of really good records and it can really help your farm at being organized and efficient. Um, we tend to do the least amount of that as possible, and we just are in the field more often. So we'll give you a little bit of our model. Alan and them do it quite different than we do, and that's why we wanted to share this presentation so that you could see that there's different ways to do things. Um, so record keeping is important, um, but how technical you want to be is really just based on you know your own personality.
0: I I kind of envy Alan's ability to organize, I'll tell you. <laughs> I think that's fine. I do. It's amazing. I, I am, I'm serious about that. I wish that we had, it's a wonderful asset, so if you have it, use it. And so then you, you kind of, you grab all this information from your community and then you have to make a decision about what you think is going to be the best outlets, what you're going to grow, and, and sort of how you're going to manage that. And there's some real, you know, I think in, in a general sense, common sense questions you should ask yourself, like, okay, I think the next slide, actually, selling what you grow probably will answer some of this. Um, oh, real quick, I oops. just wanted
1: to add, that was a picture of our farm. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Sorry. That is a picture of our farm, just so you can get an idea. It's, we're on 16 and a half acres, but we cultivate about two and a half acres, of what we have. Okay, selling what you grow. So these this is kind of a summary slide of what we're going to talk about for so the yeah. rest of the presentation. So farmers market, restaurants, wholesale, CSA, farm dinners, and online store.
0: Are you guys going to be able to do the online store part? so the the um does that come up yeah looking for a good market the the saying location 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 it's said that way because it's true (laughs) um finding the right location for what you're doing if you're growing a bunch of um i don't know we have like a a large uh, korean so you have a large korean base community um you can do niche things for that. But let's say you're, you are growing a bunch of those things and you don't have a large Korean based community. You're in the wrong location. (laughs) You're growing the wrong food for the people that you're servicing. And so it doesn't really work. Um,
1: The different farmers markets are going to have different types of vendors. So we found, you know, a larger farmer market, farmers market, you're generally going to do better in your sales. People like a lot of booths. They like to be able to have different things to shop for. It becomes like their, their Sunday thing that they do or their Tuesday thing that they do. So generally speaking, a larger market, you're probably gonna do better in your sales. Smaller markets are more like, to me, they're more like the mission field. You're not really going there to make a bunch of money. You're going there to serve a population that doesn't have a lot of resources. So we actually do one very large market on a Sunday and we do a smaller market on a Tuesday so you'll just have to shop around in your areas to see what the options are
0: and so some of the things you want to ask yourself when you're looking at a market um one the knowledge base of the community that you're in how, how much do they know about the types of foods you're growing um you want to ask about foot traffic so usually a market will have a market manager go to them a lot of times they count how many people come through the market every time the market runs and they have numbers they can share with you so you can get an idea of the foot count um, so you would talk to the market manager about that, um, you know. And a fundamental question is: is do they have space for you? You know, you may like the market, you may want to be at that market, but they may not be accepting. You know, you can get on the waiting list, whatever. So even if you don't have, say, you're not sure you want to enter that market, but you think next year you might enter that market, it might be worth getting on the waiting list now. Does that make sense? Hold on. Um, the other thing is. It's always good if a market, and she kind of mentioned this, but you know, people have booths for bread, soaps, crafts. If they have those types of things, you know automatically there's a bigger draw. You're hitting more diversified people group when they have those other things. If there's six vendors doing produce and you're growing produce, you may ask yourself, yeah, there's a high traffic, but do I, or how am I going to set myself apart from everybody else? If you go there and there's six vendors and they all have the same food, you automatically know, hey, I can come in here and I can grow different cucumbers, different tomatoes, different whatever, or things that aren't here, and perhaps you can pick up a lot of sales that way. Um, and then the other question you want to ask yourself, when you go to the market, to you should scope the markets out, what are the prices? What are people selling stuff for? because that's going to be really important.
1: So we're going to give a little testimony about the care about your customers. And um, we had a situation at one of our farmer's markets where we had this couple, man and wife, that would come every week very consistently told me about their sick dog. We prayed about their sick dog together, just really bonded with them throughout the experience. Well, all of a sudden they just stopped coming and you kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder what happened to them. So last year, not this past season, but the one before, at the very end of the season, it was our last farmer's market. We had packed up the van, went inside the health food store, and we're just chatting with people. And this couple walks up Wow, where have you been? We've missed you. And, you know, how are things going? Well, they had both lost their jobs, and they couldn't afford to go to farmer's market anymore and buy produce. Well, we said, well, we have so much food in the van right now. You know, we just ended the market, and, you know, we're done, and we just ran in there and loaded them up with bags of produce and gave it to them. Well, then that winter, I got a card in the mail. They had decided to join our CSA for the next year which is really exciting to me. So, they're now CSA members and we've become even closer with them. They've been out to the farm and just a really cool experience. So, invest time in your customers when one of them approaches you. Can we're going to hold questions to the end. I was just going to ask you to define CSA. Oh. Is, sure, sure, sure. Thank you for that. Um repeat the question. So, he, Uh, This gentleman pointed out, I said the word CSA, and many people might not know what that means. So CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. So there's a lot of different models for this, and we're going to talk about it. But the idea is uh, people invest in your farm in the beginning of the season, and then you supply them with vegetables throughout the season. So that's what it stands for, and we'll go over that a little bit more in a little bit here. But I think it's really important to talk about um, investing in your customer. So make eye contact with people when you're serving them. If you notice they're a little down, ask them, you know, how's it going? You're going to be seeing these people every week, week after week. And um, like Aubrey said, there's this connection that's made uh, automatically because they're trusting you with growing food for them to nourish their bodies. So it's this really cool connection of trust that develops very quickly that's very unique. And so, you know, ask them how they're doing and remember their names and talk about their dogs and things like this. And it really is an amazing experience.
0: Remember, it's a ministry. Um, Pricing. So we're going to look at how do you price your food. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a it's not an easy it's not as easy as you would like it to be. I'll say it that way. Um, what we do is we tend to go to the grocery store and look at the organic prices. And that's where we price our stuff. Usually, when you come to the farmer's market, it is really not okay to undercut everybody at the market. And it's really, you don't wanna be, you really don't wanna be way over their prices. And so you kinda have to get a feel. That's why I said, look at the prices when you go to the farmer's market, because that's, that's who you're gonna be basically you're going to be in their ranges and so if you want to sell tomatoes for five dollars a pound which i think is reasonable everybody might be selling for two dollars a pound and you might have to go well it might be reasonable to me but clearly it's not reasonable to anybody else and so you then have to readjust okay what does that mean for me economically what does that mean for me and choosing you know how I'm going to, what what does tomatoes look like to me now at two dollars a pound when i came from seattle four and five dollars a pound was normal When I went to South Dakota, 250 a pound was normal. So that was, I had to reevaluate, you know, how that economically was going to affect me.
1: Something else I just thought of to add is, it's really important to also develop relationships with the other vendors, because it's not a competition you know there's other vegetable vendors there you need to develop relationships with them too, and actually help each other someone comes to my booth looking for broccoli and I don't have any but I know my fellow neighbor farmer does and I'm gonna direct people over to them and vice versa that's how it really works and um, the other thing I was gonna mention is we always at the beginning of every market pretty well unless it's a regular item we will compare prices because like Larry said we don't wanna undercut each other so we want to be around the same price or you know if you have a better quality product maybe organic and theirs is not our price might be higher and you just explain that to the customer if they say well their tomatoes are 2 bucks over there and you're selling them for 350 well you just explain very kindly you know we grow grow ours very differently we don't use any sprays or chemicals you know and just explain why your dollar value is a little bit higher
0: and and you may we do certified naturally grown we don't do certified organic um. Same standards, same... And so we have to explain to people a little bit. We point them to online stuff. And so there's a lot of education that's going to go into the, the practice of this. You are really going to have to educate your population base most of the time.
1: So just to talk about the Certified Naturally Grown really quick, you can go to their website, Certified Naturally Grown, And it will explain to you, it's really the same standard as the USDA certified organic. It just is a lower cost for the farmer to become certified. We're actually inspected every year. Um, It's a great certification if you're trying to find something that's not quite as expensive as the USDA certified organic.
0: I've been doing it for 12 years. I think they're a great program. Um, Sometimes I don't know that people understand it that well, but I think it's a great program. She'll talk about this because that's not my... So
1: punctuality is so important. And my husband, he runs late for everything. And farming, is it can be quite quite stressful when you're trying to harvest, get everything in the van, get to the market, set up, and ready before the market starts. And I'll be honest with you, we are pretty much never ready before the market starts. And it really increases that stress level that you have. If you are not there and ready right when the first customers come it kind of sets the stage for the whole day it kind of just makes you feel stressed the whole day so we're really working on that on our farm I think this year we're gonna be punctual Um, But I just want to encourage you all to kind of try to plan your day and your harvest and your market days So that you know the time frame that you have to get everything in the van And get to market on time and try to be set up and everything looking nice before the customer arrives You will do much higher sales Um, A lot of times markets are busy in that very first part You'll do better in your sales if you're there on time and set up
0: so um, One of the things that you look for in a market In our area, it really doesn't exist. When we were in Seattle, there was a bell. You couldn't sell before the bell. And so you would come, you would set up, and no one could really inhibit your setup. Most of the farmer's markets we attend now, the time creeps back farther and farther and farther as the season goes because people just keep showing up and want to buy stuff before everybody else gets there, and, and you're constantly getting interrupted with your trying to get things done. So... What's the next?
1: Next one is branding and signage.
0: So yes, so when you send somebody home with a bag of salad mix, it's just a bag of salad mix when it gets in their fridge. If you have a sticker with your farm's name and your logo, all of a sudden now it's your lettuce that's in their refrigerator and that sticks in their mind. If you're at the health food store, and your salad mix is up there, now people have some way of recognizing, oh, that's so-and-so at the farmer's market. I want that one. And so branding becomes very fundamental for people to know who you are and what you're about. Now, if you're going to brand your stuff, you want it to be good stuff. If you're doing this, you want it to be good stuff in the first place, though, right? And so we're going to go through some, stu- some steps to make sure that you understand in the processing part how you get quality produce onto a shelf. And not wilty products
1: and we have a direct example of that we our best seller is our salad mix and we have a whole lecture during the main conference on commercial salad mix production and so people come to our booth we have a large following just for our salad mix and so i then sell it to our local co-op and he makes sure to put our name and our farm on the bag and he says our salad mix sells better than any other and it's because i tell my customers if you run out of our salad mix you know, by the ne- before next Sunday, you can buy it in the store here. So now they know they can get Eastward Garden Salad Mix at the local co-op uh, because of that reason. So it really has made a difference with you know, having our name on the product.
0: Um, so yeah, branding is key. And you don't want your branding to be complicated. Simplify everything if you can. Okay. Presentation matters. A picture is worth a thousand words.
1: So here's some pictures of our beautiful farm stand with lots of colors. Now, if,
0: if we show up, the quickest thing for me to do is to take all this produce that's in plastic totes, throw up a plastic table and sit the plastic totes on the table and put a little clip a little sign on telling you the price. That would be the easiest, fastest thing for me to do. But if you show up at the farmer's market, you're like, that looks kind of ugly. And people are coming for an experience. Do not doubt for a minute that it's ag people uh, most of the people that come to the farmers market are looking for a particular experience first experience is looking for they want to know their farmer they want to look you in the eye and they want to talk to you about what you do that's a, a lot of people are interested in that but the other thing is is they want to have this this experience where they're going to a cute little booth and they have a cute little experience where they buy the little you know specialty tomato from this little you know pretty design and so if you want to do well you need to do that you need to meet what these people have in their in their minds you want to give them the experience they want to have and so just like everything else we want to be organized we want to be orderly and we want to present Christ in the best picture and your farm stand your your farmer's market stand should also display that it should be set apart it should stand out you know we want to we really want to most It is very common practice for farmers to come with their plastic totes full of food and sit them on the table. It is a terrible look.
1: So the whole uh, abundant look is very important. So if we have a little basket with like two or three things of sage in there... It's not gonna sell very well. You wanna have piles of produce on the table. That really does make, it draws people to your booth. So you can kind of see in these pictures here, the kind of a uh, basket overflowing with summer squash, the piled high tomatoes there, the bottom right one there shows those turnips piled high. It's kind of hard to see the beets piled high. So um, that really does draw people in when you have large piles of certain product. Um, This next slide is my most favorite flower picture of the entire season. Yeah, you can't see it as well there. It's not Photoshop. There's no color edit there. It's this really beautiful flower. The flowers really draw people to the table. So we would have farmer's market customers walk by and literally stop in their tracks and say, oh, that is the most beautiful flower, and that just draws them to the table. So a flower, where it's not necessarily nourishing their body nutritionally, it kind of nourishes the heart. It brings people a lot of happiness, flowers do. So what I would encourage you, um, if you have any inkling to kind of play around with flowers, flowers are a wonderful, wonderful blessing in addition to a farmer's market table. Real quick, um, we just started flowers for the first time this year. And it was very successful. It added a lot to the farm. I was able to start them because I quit my job. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about the flowers too as we go on. But as you can see at these farmer's market tables, on the left side there, um, I've got the flowers displayed along with all the produce. And it really is a nice addition to the table.
0: makes the table cheery. <laughs> um, I, was, I was probably this opposed to, to flowers at first. And when we did them... The response that I got from the customers was staggering. I mean, it just made some people's day. We had a we had a policy that we would give a bunch of flowers away, every market, to someone we felt the Lord was sort of impressing us, this person needs a, a bouquet of flowers today. They would break down in tears. I mean it was amazing the response. People would come back and tell us how long they lasted, what they did with them. And it's you touch people with food and then the flowers is like this whole other group of people that you just weren't touching before and so ministerially it is like an imperative in my mind now And we went and spent a (laughs) bunch of money on flower bulbs and stuff this winter and planted stuff for the spring and just like it's it really was a a powerful testimony to me
1: i just want to add while i'm thinking of it now our website is eastwardgardens.com And um, any of you that have a question about starting flowers or starting a farm, we are happy to help you. Just email us. You can go to the website. Uh, the best way is to direct email us at eastwardgardensgmail.com. So eastwardgardensgmail.com and then just eastwardgardens.com. So for any, um, you know, once you get home, if you want to try some of these things, just email us. So
0: we, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're, we're kind of getting behind on our slideshows. We're talking way outside of what our (laughs) notes are, which is fine. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to hit a couple of points. Um, When you leave the field. So when we go to farmer's market, we're harvesting to the, I'm almost the minute. I'm packing. She's still harvesting. It's like, it's a, it's a hectic situation. Whatever you do. And I mean, it sounds crazy. Maybe go change your clothes before you go to the market. (laughs) <laughs> don't go to the like transplanting clothes are not market clothes yeah, I get it. So okay um, this is key know your products mm-hmm. know the names of your products know
1: the flavors.
0: actually know why you chose that one because people come and I'm like oh that's Samantha head lettuce and they're like huh I'm like yeah that's Samantha head lettuce or that's Encino head lettuce you know and I know the name and I can say, well, I grow that one because Samantha head lettuce. It's got that blush of red. It's got a really nice, smooth, like almost buttery heart to it. And so when you cut it, it's a it's a oak leaf lettuce. And oak leaf lettuce has a nice crunchy spine on it. So it's almost like a romaine, except for it's really frizzy leaves. That's why it's called oak leaf. And that oak leaf lettuce is frizzy like that. It gives a loft to a salad. And so now I'm I'm talking about this lettuce. I have like this this really intimate relationship with this lettuce, like it's, it's inspiring to me. And so people are like, wow, well, I, I wanna eat that lettuce. You know, and so you knowing your product, why you chose that product is very powerful. It's a, it's a sales point, but it's it's true too. Like you should genuinely like what you grow. You'll sell it better.
1: We have found it's really funny. Any farm we have ever worked, when you go to market, you will sell the most yeah. of your favorite thing. Because people are going to ask you, you know, there's two carrots there. What's your favorite? Well, I really like this one. Well, that's the one that they're going to buy. Um, also, knowing the names of the flowers, people would come up and be admiring them. And I say, oh, that one's called Café au or that one's Fleur. And it just adds a personal touch to it that people really appreciate. And, sh- you know, it shows your care about what you're doing.
0: And this is the entering wedge, right? Yeah. This is the health message. This is the entering wedge. A boulder, a rock that you cannot lift, if you take a wedge and you sit it under and you you just knock that little wedge, it'll lift that mountain. This is a powerful entering wedge.
1: Something I forgot to mention was um, knowing recipes, because people are going to come up and say, I don't really know how to cook radish tops. So have on you know share with them the recipes that you use, and that is also you know a perfect example of an entering wedge because you're going to be giving healthful recipes to people. Um, a lot of times people will say like last night in our icebreakers, well, I don't really like turnips. Oh well, I know a great way that you can try turnips that you might like because a lot of people have these bad experiences with vegetables because when they were younger they were just overcooked, and they you know had no flavor. And so you kind of try to encourage them to try things again, you know, and give them new fresh recipes. That does help as well.
0: So people who had the note, they didn't like the turnips last night. There's like three groups, all these people with turnips. And I'm like, that's insane. They're the best things ever. Yeah. And, I, and this is what we do at Farmer's Market. I, we grow little white turnips. We don't grow the har- Harukai turnips because of reasons of association with Monsanto. We grow one called Oasis. And I will literally say, take these turnips. You don't like turnips, take the turnips. If yeah, you tell items. them what to do, and say, "Now you come back and tell me you don't like those. You're going to love them. It's a simple recipe. Chop them, quarter them, throw them in a pan, a little bit of little bit of something, water.
1: So throw <laughs> a little sea salt on top of them <laughs> and roast
0: them. <laughs> it's going to be like candy. They're delicious. And so anyway, I'm, I'm saying that because recognize, give stuff away. It goes so far. If somebody's buying $20 worth of produce from you, and you say, you know what? We've got this big pile of radishes here. Try these radishes. They remember that stuff. And here's the key. You know how you can give something away? Because you love that person. When you see your customer as somebody you love, you will treat them like somebody you love. Michelle's going to talk about restaurants.
1: Okay, so we sell to, we do through Farmer's Market, we also sell to restaurants. I would consider restaurants kind of more of a higher maintenance um, outlet for produce because you really need to call them weekly Um, you need to know their menu we sit down with some of the chefs ask things that they want us to grow we try to grow things specifically for them and We actually market to a lot of like more four-star gourmet type restaurants in the Louisville area because they like specialty things that they can't get anywhere else. And we really like to grow that type of thing. We like to grow these little niche specialty things that you can't find anywhere. So you have to really work at building relationships. It's taken us probably, well, four years, four seasons to get consistent with just to local restaurants really in our area. So it's not like we're selling to lots of restaurants, um, but they are higher end restaurants and we've developed a nice relationship with them. We've been selling them sweet potatoes all winter long, um, a little over 200 pounds worth now, uh, which for us is great and um, they love them. The Marasaki specialty uh, Japanese variety that you can't really get you know, anywhere. So we love growing those. Um, Know their menus. Some restaurants, this farm to table thing is very popular right now. So know if they want seasonal, which most of them do. A lot of these more higher end restaurants are changing their menus weekly, bi-weekly, monthly to keep up with seasonal. So it can be quite fun. You can really uh, work well with local chefs. You just kind of got to get that in. And once you get the in, consistently call them and try to have the product that they want, and that will be a great opportunity for you. Um, So we talked about the weekly calls, and then just consistency. Um, A lot of restaurants are going to need large amounts consistently. So that's where you kind of just have to find your niche. Uh, We're not so much into doing you know, monocrop type stuff where you have a lot of one thing, we like to grow a lot of variety so that the farm is not just sustainable for the people we grow for, but also for us, so we can live off the food we grow. Um, So you just have to kind of figure out what it is that you want to be doing. Um, With the high diversity, it's going to be a different kind of restaurant than, you know, more like a larger, probably chain type uh, restaurant. Okay, so then wholesale uh, Larry's having me do the restaurant wholesale and CSA because they're a little bit more like how should I say mentally taxing maybe um, just because you have to really uh, call the people a lot so we're in the field every Friday in the morning I call the wholesale our co-op that we sell to tell him what we have he tells me how much he wants and um we go from there. So it's a weekly thing of actually figuring out what we have, how much we have, and how much they want. Um, So we sell to local health food store. Um, There's also like produce auctions that you can do. We've never actually done them, um, but that is an outlet that you could look for in your area. I think that's usually like more of a rural thing, like in rural areas where maybe you don't have a lot of uh, you know like a city traffic area you could look into produce auctions and distribution centers
0: so like You would sell to somebody that's selling to grocery stores in that case and usually that's very like if you're doing a large volume of food you would set up a an account with them and they would tell you what to grow basically and you would grow it for them
1: um, Just to rewind a little bit because uh, this relates to wholesale as well Um You might have to educate people on the different varieties. So, for instance, we grew four different varieties of cucumbers this year, which may not always be economically the best decision, but we really like cucumbers, and we wanted to try different kinds. And so this uh, one chef, just week after week, would buy gobs of these varieties of cucumbers. And he just, you guys grow the coolest varieties. No one has them. Everyone has these normal cucumbers. And he just really appreciated the variety. So just... Edu- you can educate the chefs and the wholesale market um, on look. You know, do you want to try different varieties? If you're willing to try different varieties with them, uh, that could work too. And then next is our CSA model. I think you're going to talk about that.
0: Sure. So what's the We have ten minutes. So the CSA can be. I have a love-hate relationship with the CSA. it is very stressful for me someone gives me their money most of the time my idea is to never spend that money until i give them their food (laughs) because i it just stresses me out to have to think that i've got to have six to nine items every week for 20 weeks is stressful for me as a farmer but i get all that money up front It assists us in the lower part of the season when we're building up into the, you know, having everything on the farm and a a higher dollar income. And so it carries us through parts of the season. It's a great model in that sense. Um,
1: It's actually my favorite thing to do on the farm. (laughs) There's the balance, right? He's stressed about it. I love it. So the reason why I love it is because it's families buying into the farm. So it's people investing in the farm ahead of time, very thought out process. They're giving you this a chunk of money, we, we charge $500 a season for ours. It's a 20-week program. And I put a newsletter in each box. I put a lot of time and energy into personalizing it, trying to think about the products that are in the box, that they go together, that they can make a meal with it. And I actually have a CSA appreciation dinner every year on the farm. So we invite all the CSA members to the farm and I make a homemade meal for them and we sit around and we get to know each other. So to me, it's the real personal, I mean, farmer's market's very personal, wholesale and restaurants can be, but for me, the CSA is the most personal because they're really investing in the farm. They're taking a chance with you that you're going to have crops. And you explain to them in the beginning, you know, we might have crop failure and they're like going to take that chance with you. So it's this really cool um, relationship that you build with your customer base and, um, the, new, the newsletters are great, um, which we'll talk about the next slide. Yeah.
0: So I, and I wanted to point out, like we have a farm dinner that we do for our CSA at the beginning of the year. And a lot of times they'll bring friends that might be interested. And you do build a different kind of bond with this, this way that you interact with them. Like I go to a, one of our customers, allows us to use his porch as a drop off point. And so we actually go and we sit on this porch. We set the boxes out, and I usually hang out for a little while, because most people show up at the beginning, and I chat with them, and we talk about what they did this week, what did they do with the food, or whatever, and you just have this opportunity to to really not be selling behind a counter, but actually just engaging with them, and when we have the on-farm dinner, you know, I take them for a ride in the tractor, and take them around the farm, and they see their, you know, and when we address them in the newsletter, we say, your farm. This isn't our farm. We're stewards of this farm. You've invested in this farm. It's as much yours as it, is, as it is mine, at least this part of it. And so, you know, we try to make them feel like this is theirs. They have not just bought produce. They've invested into the the possibility for this to happen. And the, the particular community that we deliver to, it's a small little rural town, and there's a, Oddly enough, a bunch of people who are interested in healthy food and have no access to it. And if we don't bring them this produce, they either got to drive to Louisville or Bloomington, and it's a far drive for them, and we are affording them something that they just don't have access to. And it's, it's empowering.
1: So it was really neat. This year, we had, I had a co-worker. So the job that I was working before I quit completely was working for WIC, Women, Infant, and Children. And uh, a lot of their clinics in Indiana are very rural areas. And one of my coworkers lives in one of these areas, and she was just like, Man, I wish I could get your produce consistently. 45 minute drive from the farm, and I just thought, You know, there's really no way I would bring her produce when I had it for work. And she said, Well, what if you made one of your CSA pickups here? we were both like, how in the world are we going to pick a whole day to travel, 45 minutes to drop a CSA off? There's just the two of us. It would take too much time. So we decided to tell her, look, if you can find 10 people to join in this area, we will drive there. Well, she found 12, which I could not believe it. Like I thought for sure, she's never going to find 10. We're not going to have to do this. (laughs) And uh, she ended up doing it. And I I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, we don't advertise for our CSA. Every year we say, Lord, Whatever you give us is what we know that you will provide. Because it's, it's just the two of us, and it's a little scary sometimes going into it. So we've never advertised for it, and every year it gets a little bigger and a little bigger, and we say, Lord, I guess we're going to have enough produce this year because you've gotten us 10 more members this year, or what,
0: whatever it is. So I used to do CSAs that were 83. The biggest one I've ever done is an 83-person CSA. It's a lot of work to harvest that much stuff. And it was one day, so a lot of people do big ones, but they'll sh- they'll space them out so they have smaller harvests. We only have one day for our CSA, basically.
1: We only have 16.
0: Members. And so, but we only have 16 members too. <laughs> uh, but um, the first year, she actually didn't get the 10. She only got, I think it was Five, six, five. five or six. So we met halfway. And so we said, okay, we'll meet you halfway. So we found a meeting point halfway, and they would drive all the way from halfway from where they were, and we would meet them halfway and we'd make this exchange of food and the next and then the next year, she, the next found year she
1: found twelve so now we drive all the way there and so yeah,
0: so now we drive okay. all the way there but it's mm-hmm. it's uh
1: it's been awesome yeah so here's the newsletter. this is the coolest part about the cSA so yeah. many cSAs many people have told me over and over again, oh, I got a CSA, and I you know would get all the same thing, and I didn't know what to do with it and you know, it's just, it turns into a bad experience for people. They feel guilty because they don't eat everything in the box. They're, like, throwing it out for the deer to eat, and they're thinking they're just wasting their money. And so variety is very important. And I think the education piece of putting some kind of information in the box so that they know what they're getting. And I really enjoy making the newsletter. So I'm a dietitian, So I talk about the nutritional value of the food that they're getting so you'll see at the top it's what's in the box and and then i do about this week's produce and so i'll talk about you know usually the things that are a little different i actually put the different names of the varieties you'll see the garlic i don't just put garlic i put chestnut red hardneck garlic and then i explain to them What's unique about this garlic? Why are we growing this garlic? What's the difference between hardneck and softneck? I might do a little educational thing in there about when you harvest garlic or when you plant garlic. So it's giving them um, not only education on the actual variety and the nutritional value, but even like if they want to grow it on their own, you know, it depends on what I'm talking about. But I will actually include all that information on the About This Week's Produce. On the right, I always put a recipe. This part's a little tricky because you want the recipe to have at least two of the items in your box. Like, if you have a recipe and it's only one of the things, that's kind of maybe a little lame, you know? You want it to have at least two, if not more, of the different things.
0: Which means I have to have two things in that box (laughs) that can be put into a recipe, and I have to know that quite a bit in advance to have that come to fruition when it's supposed to. And so... um, And I want to say here, if you do a CSA, you can't put beets in their box every week. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants turnips every week. And so make sure that when you're planning for your CSA, you actually know, like, okay, if I put beets in this week, next week maybe I can put chard in. It's in the family, you know, but it's a different thing and so you've got to sort of plan to stagger your crops into that box
1: however there are a few staple items you can put every week like the salad mix you know head lettuce salad mix those are things people want every week there was a little lull in our salad mix and i didn't include it for a couple of weeks and our customers were like are we going to get the salad mix back so some things you can put in there week after week mostly just salad mix, like lettuces and salad mix, because those are something people are going to eat every week. Try to make the other varieties more diversified. The other thing that's really cool is every year we've done this, I have posted newsletters on our website. So if you go to our website under newsletter tab, it has every newsletter I've ever made, and you all are welcome to use any of those recipes you want. I give you permission if you want to cut and paste any of the information it's mine what's mine is yours it all comes from god anyway so you can use any information that i have there and um the recipes people love the recipes and then it's so cool when you hear a customer say oh i tried your recipe and i love it you know so then you know they're actually using it they're eating it and it's it's really amazing and then on the bottom part which is really important too that's the farm happenings I try not to make it too stressful like talking about all the bad things happening <laughs> on the farm. But you do want to talk about your struggles and your successes. So they're kind of going through this journey with with you. It makes it very personal. Uh, We always sign it at the bottom, your farmers, the leshers. And whenever we have people there helping us, this particular week, we had a friend there named Chris that was helping us. So we always include whoever our helper is in the newsletter as well, because if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't be getting their vegetables week after week. So the newsletter is a key component to... Um, having a a successful CSA. You want to make sure that you give people the information that's in the box. So we now actually have time for questions. Um, Aubrey and Alan are going to share about their CSA and a couple other presentations. They have a different model than we do, but we thought it might be nice since we didn't have time last time. Um, We are going to take any questions that people have for a few minutes. Does anyone have a question so far? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so how big is our farm? So our farm is 16 and a half acres, but we cultivate on two and a half of those acres. I'll let you explain that better.
0: So we probably, so we have, the way we laid out our farm was, is we have double the amount of space that we grow on. So half of it is in cover crops and sort of fallow. The other half we're cultivating, it's about two and a half to three acres, including the greenhouses. Um, That's a lot of ground for two people next year we we've cut a third of the farm out and it's going to be i think an acre and three quarters roughly next year um the reason was is i felt like we would actually get higher yields if we sort of focused down on it a little bit more and we like i told you when we showed up we planted stuff it turned purple and didn't grow another leaf so we've finally gotten the fertility to a point where it's producing correctly and i don't have to plant twice as much to get you know a quarter of what i want um and so I think we can sort of narrow that down now and get a, a decent amount of food out of that. And so that's what we're growing on next year. one more question for that? So do yeah. you, like, do you have several acres? Do you move around like and then leave her? Like when you leave that and then you do a okay. Because the, I mean, I do that anyway as part of a model. We move through those plots. We're going to talk about that. Um, we will talk about that. But to, to kind of answer your question now, you constantly want to be in building. Most of farming is a robbery situation. We Even when we do it well, we still tend to not really nourish the soil we're just taking constantly. And part of allowing that process to happen is recognizing that even if we did it properly, the soil is in bad shape and it just needs time to rest. It needs me to put back a lot more than I'm taking out. And so part of our approach is restorative. We are stewards, and it's not the economic return. God will take care of the economic return. I'm positive of that. I have absolutely no fears of that. But my job is to do what's right. Now, that is hard sometimes for multiple reasons. You may not know what is right. And so you, you are really leaning on God to say, okay, Lord, you've got to send me now information. You've got to put people in my path with righteous indign- <laughs> information. <laughs> Almost <laughs> an indignation. Righteous information and then you got to give me ears to hear it and the strength and courage to do it and so you know that that's been our process and so um, there are challenges to it for sure um, and with two people there's a lot of challenges on the farm that we have to pray about <laughs> how we manage that.
1: So just to clarify because we had such poor production when we first moved on the land in Indiana the soil was not very well we were used to growing a lot of food we would plant kind of twice as much to get what we needed so now through the five years we've worked the soil it's actually doing better so we're going to downscale it a little bit Um, we're learning so much every day we learn more and more and so that's part of why um, he answered it that way does that answer your question okay great anyone else you had a question sir i did Uh,
0: first question Uh-huh. Oh I wanted to address yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So repeat his question.
0: What is the average cost on our CSA box? So, so we sell them at twenty dollars a box, twenty boxes a year, and so or a, a season. Twenty weeks. Twenty weeks. What did I say? Twenty weeks you get a box. And so it's gonna be twenty dollars a box, five hundred dollars. We try to exceed that dollar point in the box. So one of the, the pluses is one, you're gonna get access to so if I only have a little bit of something usually it goes in the box before it goes to the market so somebody who doesn't hold
1: it you just talk
0: somebody who doesn't uh, you know somebody wants what we have that's an incentive to get the box one the other thing is is what's that we did yeah yeah and so we but we try to exceed that price point too part of of the investment return you get, is if you're gonna get a $20 box, we're hoping that's a $25 box, you know? And sometimes it's, sometimes sometimes it might be less than $20, but in the average over the season, what we're trying to do is have an average of about $5 more than what you've spent on the box.
1: And that's kind of a security blanket for the times when you don't have enough to put in there. And then I explain it in the newsletter, you know? We had a rough week, we had a crop failure, and explain it. and then make up for it later. Um, but when you have it, put it in there. If you have extra, we'll put it in there to make it look bigger and it kind of secures you for later.
0: One of the things about a CSA that is, is really needs to be thought about too is people have food regrets. And, and one of the biggest reasons people don't sign up for a CSA is because they actually got too much food. You would think the opposite, they didn't get enough food, but most people don't sign up for a CSA because they got too much food and they had they felt bad that they didn't eat it all or they're giving it to their neighbors and they feel like they've been they're giving away their food, their money. Let me mention something. And so if you you really need to target like a practical amount of food for somebody to eat in a week and these aren't people who are vegan, <laughs> right? These are people who eat out pretty regularly. They don't eat that much produce. And so for me, it's very difficult for me to I have to remind myself they don't eat a half a pound of salad mix every meal. Okay. So, <laughs> so.
1: we gauge it on six to eight items per box. Six to eight items per box mm-hmm. is what we tell people. Yeah. Did That's you have another a question? So how reliant are we on greenhouses? I would say pretty heavily. Our cash crop is tomatoes, and they're in a greenhouse, 120 foot by 30-foot greenhouse. Um, cucumbers and peppers. We're going to actually talk a lot about our greenhouse production here in a little bit. Okay? Yeah. Um. Another question back there in the back? Or go ahead, Laura. Um, so you said six to eight items per box. Is that six to eight literal items or you give carrots and you give lettuce? Yeah. Yes. Six groups. So for somebody who's never put together a CSA like how many carrots would you put? Yes. Yeah. So the question was six to eight items per box does that mean individual items or just bunches of carrots bunches of turnips and then how many of each item goes in a bunch
0: a whiteboard is, is a very good tool on a farm so what we do is we will look at i look at the field and i say okay for the next four weeks the next month what do i think i will have and so I'm gonna have beats in this box. I'm gonna have, and when I say beats, I mean a bunch of beats. So a bunch of beats may be, depending on the size of the beats, anywhere between three to five beats. If they're small beats, put five. If they're bigger beats, we put three.
1: Use this as a thinking motto. Would I buy it at the store if I saw it?
0: So every bunch is based on what you would expect to get at the grocery store or more. That's my model. Press down and overflowing. Right? Press down and overflowing. Okay? So I'm saying, okay, I want beets in that box. Okay, if I'm putting beets in that box, next box, chard, right? Because I want beets and chard in the boxes, but I don't want them together. Because you can eat the beet tops, just like chard, right? And so you tell them that, hey, you're getting beets, use the tops. And you get to talk about the tops. So now you got beets and you got chard for next week. So you're knocking out kind of your order of what you're going to do. Okay, i got turnips. I'm not going to put turnips next week, so I can put radishes, Okay, so there's two root vegetables. What else am I going to do? So salad mixes in every bag. Tomatoes, Head lettuce should be in every box. In every tomatoes can go in every box. Whether, and different. you can, so you want to grow, at least for me, I grow quite a few different varieties of tomatoes. So I try to vary the type they get in each box. Cherry tomatoes, um, you know, a red round, a black tomato, like a, you know, does everyone know what a black tomato is? Okay, purple tomatoes, yeah. So if you have it written on your
1: whiteboard, we usually do like three weeks in advance to kind of give you a projection of what you're hoping for, and then we always put the dollar amount. It's kind of your goal for what you want in your box.
0: That's how I kind of manage it if we start to have failure. So I'll put, like, on the list, I'll have, like, ten items, and I'll say, okay, we have basil, but we can probably, we're probably not going to get that item there, so I'm going to push the basil out into that box. And so that way I can kind of, visually see what I'm doing, you know, or like, oh, we got basil in the box, but it really doesn't go with anything in that box. Let's let's wait on the basil. It'll hold. It's still doing good. Please we'll wait a week it. and we'll put maybe sage in this box because it's got potatoes. And so we can talk about, you, you know, sage and, sage and potatoes or something like that.
1: Okay. The gentleman in the back in the blue. So the question is, how do we approach our restaurants? It's a pretty interesting situation. So our Smaller market that's in a low income area, downtown Louisville, in the heart of downtown Louisville, also has a draw for all these four-star gourmet restaurants in that same downtown area. They frequent this farmer's market. They come in their chef uh, coats, so we know they're chefs, and uh, we just started engaging with them that way. I have just kind of cold called, or however you want to say it, not knowing the people, I haven't got as good a, of a response doing that way. I would encourage if you want to reach out to a restaurant to literally go there with your product. Show up, um, walk in, ask if you can talk to a chef, say I'm a new farmer in the area, this is what I have. If They really need to see it. Chefs are very busy and just calling them, I have not had any good luck with just cold calling a chef. I would suggest
0: you? not just going there with your produce but with the intention of leaving it there
1: yeah giving them a sample
0: here's a sample of what we do if you like it this is our number and don't leave them alone don't bother them they're busy people they really don't want to talk to you don't bother them but you need to be persistent too and when you bring them stuff it's the best stuff don't bring them your seconds bring them your best stuff so they can see what they should get and what you're going to deliver you have a question
1: Mm-hmm. you rely heavily on what he puts on that whiteboard mm-hmm. so that you have your... Good question. So the question is, how do I know how to make my newsletter if Larry doesn't know what's going to go in the box until the day of? And this is where early to rise comes in. Hmm. Honestly, I wake up sometimes at 4 in the morning and work on the newsletter before I go out. Because sometimes I really ask him, like, can I know ahead? Can I know ahead? And sometimes you just can't know ahead. So you can work on it. If it's, like, just one item that you're not sure about, just leave it out until you know, and you can just tweak the newsletter at the last minute. But if you're really struggling and you have a lot of failure happening, then um, there are times when I've had to do this super crunch time, get up super early, and write the CSA the day of. How many do you actually put <clears throat> You know, it's gotten better. I'm not very good at writing, like this is all by the grace of God. I did terrible in school. Um, As far as a a young child, I didn't do well in school. So school's always been very hard for me, Um, but it's gotten a lot faster. So I would say it probably takes me an hour, maybe, to pull it together. For someone that types well and doesn't do this when they type... um, they could knock it out in probably 20, 30 minutes. You get your formats there. Um, so you're just plugging in a new recipe. You're plugging in a farm happening, and you're plugging in um, the different varieties. Now, the challenge with the newsletter can be, too, is that we don't have any new varieties. I've already talked about all the items. You know, say we're 10 weeks in, and our varieties really gone down. I just explain that in the newsletter. You know, we're struggling this week. I know it's some repeats. I'm going to talk to you about a different aspect of chard. Maybe I talked about the nutritional value before. And this week I'm going to talk about different recipes with it. I just have to get creative and tweak it based on how it's going. And then really just be honest and communicate the struggle on the CSA newsletter. I think they appreciate that and then they know why you know what's going on so it is time for a break so those people that we didn't get to answer your questions just write them down and we'll have more time at the end of each of these to answer more questions
0: this media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse dot org.